Hey, welcome back to the Contracting Handbook. I'm your host, Mike Kenoki, contractor at large. And today I speak with Gina Hoyt, the co-founder of Big Dog Construction. And we're going to hit upon the labor shortage and compare and contrast a little bit about how tradespeople are trained in the U.S. versus Canada and what's lacking and what should be done. And we get into how their partnership works. And here's a couple sound bites from the show. How do you attract people to an industry where the money just isn't there? in Canada? The average salary for a residential carpenter is fifty-four thousand a year. Anybody here can go and get a building permit. Where I live, you know, builders are revered. Women need to recognize that this is not not male-only jobs. Train them to be what you want them to be. Take the time to mentor them and 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 teach them yeah and you can't live in a small community like this and not be honest and have a good reputation we're not afraid of the weird and wonderful and we're getting to a point where we can pick and choose who we want to work for i think that sometimes big problems start to be solved with small answers all those guys out there who have all that experience and knowledge should be passing it on love what they do they're masters at it I think that if they were to be proud of that outwardly, that that also helps to elevate the trades to a professional level that might entice some younger people to want to get into it. I like to be the boss. I echo that sentiment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook. Today, my guest is co-founder of Big Dog Construction out of Grand Manan, New Brunswick. And she's been busy on the job site, so it's been tricky to sit down and talk. Um, and uh, But without further ado, I want to introduce Gina Hoyt. Welcome to the Contracting Handbook, Gina. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Um, so today, uh, Gina and I are going to discuss at first here at the outset um, some issues around the labor shortage, specifically in Canada, the U.S., but it is a global issue. Um, everybody's hurting for help. So, so Gina, first, um, why did, what, what kind of brings you to want to discuss this here today? Um. I think that we see a lot of stuff here on the island before the rest of the world does. We're sort of a funny little economic bubble here, but we've had a labor shortage here on the island um, for a while. And we see it sort of spiraling out of control in every other place in the universe here too. And I first saw this happening when I was in high school a long time ago. when they took out our shop and our mechanical classes and they put computers in and the government thought that was the way of the world, Um, information technology and computers and and everything else. And so, you know, uh, fast forward 20 plus years later and it's happening. Um, People aren't exposed to the trades enough uh, in their younger years now, uh, like they were before. So 
it's just something that's always been interesting to me. And, um, you know, Aaron, my partner is a wonderful mentor and has always had apprentices. And it's something that we really have to focus on now in our business. And um, hiring and training people is just daily life for us. Um, and I think it should be more that way for other people too. Uh, where I live, we're definitely very, very shorthanded. And no clue what to do about it. There are fewer and fewer workers available every year. And then, you know, here in the US, uh, according to one source that I read, the average construction worker is age 43, while another said age 60. So I don't know which one it is there or somewhere in between. But we are looking at a shortage of about a million workers right now for the residential construction industry. Not to mention here, we just had a massive infrastructure bill passed. And I think, oh, that's great. We're finally going to fix the bridges, but who's going to do the work? Uh, I know, I mean, I know there's plenty of union guys out there that are going to, there's going to be great work and, and lots of it, but, but I don't think that uh, all of it can get done because we don't have the help. So, and I, I also noted that uh, in the UK, they're short about 200,000 workers with similar age issues for the residential construction industry. And Australia's uh, facing similar issues with not near, not as bad a problem, but still they're short like a hundred thousand. And both those, uh, the UK and Australia are looking at bringing in foreign labor because there's no one to do the work. Yeah. Uh, um, no, no, no locals. So, so what, okay, let's start back to, okay. We're meant, we need to mentor more people. It's a systemic failure, obviously, you know, so um what about like adding you know taking the stigma off it like making it seem uh letting people know that they're professionals you know yeah and there's you know the people that are in the industry right now and the trades people that work in the industry um the old school guys like they love their work. They're passionate about their work. They are proud to be blue collar. They, they love this way of life. Um, but I don't see that happening in younger generations. I don't, you know, when I go to the high schools and I, I get into the, the educational system here in New Brunswick, the kids just aren't interested because I, I don't think they're exposed to it. And I don't think they see that life as something they want to be into. Um, in Canada, the average salary for a residential carpenter is 54,000 a year. And where I live, it's less, um, you know, so how do you attract people to an industry where the money just isn't there? And, and then on top of that, it's, it's grueling work. Sometimes you're out in the cold, you're out in the weather, you're out in the heat. Um, so it's, you know, to somebody who's never been exposed to some of the more intricate details of the trades and, and the things that make those older people who are passionate about it passionate, they don't get exposed to all of those good things. Um, so, yeah, we really have to start, I think, right at the base of, of getting 
into the schools and, and making sure that those younger generations are exposed to that stuff. Um, they, they just aren't right now and haven't been for a while. And it's, it's taken 10 or 20 years, like I said, to come down through, but it's bad. It's very bad. So can you tell me, tell me more about the Red Seal apprenticeship program? Cause I, I, I'm pretty naive to it. I've only learned about it really this year because of the show and, um, and social media, because I've met, now met a lot of uh, builders and carpenters and tradespeople from Canada. Maybe give us some background on that. And then, and then after that, we'll talk a little bit about how that could be bettered. The Red Seal program in Canada is a uh, national program here that standardizes uh, almost 50 trades, I think. Um, and they're, they're bringing more trades into it all the time. Um, and it, it basically divides up each trade into major work activities that they then weight each of those activities and that is what they base their curriculum off of for when they go to school uh, and what they base the exam off of that they have to write at the end of each block and at the end to get their Red Seal cert. Um, in carpentry, it, um, it takes four blocks and each block is about seven to eight weeks to complete. And then you have to have 7,200 hours on the job training um, and classroom time to be able to write the Red Seal exam. Um, it's a good starting point for anyone who is in the trades to get that certification. Absolutely. Now, do you get a better wage? Absolutely. So it's automatic that you get a better wage. I mean... Um, yeah, I think in, in a lot of places, if you're a Red Seal carpenter, um, and, you know, especially with us, each of our apprentices gets a, a wage increase every time they complete a block. Um, but definitely, I certainly think that, you know, people with a red seal are going to command more money in the beginning with an employer than they are, you know, if they didn't have it. Yeah. So we're, but as a, as a private residential contractor, you, you know, you're paying them whatever scale you see fit for where you live. And then it, it, is there like union work where they go work for, you know, bigger, big firms that are contracted to the government where they're making a certain scale, like with, with unions, the way unions do in the U.S.? Yeah, it's similar here. Um, and the union, uh, the Carpenters Union in Canada has a different apprenticeship program that they put people through. It's very similar as far as I understand. Um, but the union in Atlantic Canada, as far as I know, like, yes, they get a better pay scale. Yes, they get benefits, but um, sometimes the work isn't there either. So yeah. the work isn't as consistent with a union as it would be if you're with a private employer. Yeah, I think here where I live, it's not as consistent for Carpenter Union. I've never been in the union. Uh, I just, because of the way my life went, but, um, a lot of our other, the labor union, labor hall's busy all the time. Pipe fitters are busy all the time, but, um, but the union scale wages are, I, you know, as a residential contractor, we can't compete with that. 
So we're really looking at two different kinds of people when, when it comes to hiring, because a lot of people just want to go make that, make that, you know, lots of hours and lots of money, big crew versus some other guy, some other men and women who'd rather work 40 hours. Yeah. And I think, you know, carpenter labor union people here, it typically ends up being more commercial work. Um, you know, that's not, it's commercial industrial. It's not residential. So in residential we're, we're dealing with private and non-union. So. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, in the residential industry in the U S we don't, there's really not a program that people are coming out of. There's some trade programs occasionally that pop up for people, but not, not, you know, not, no one I've ever hired has come uh, there. It's all just coming up through the ranks, starting as a laborer and being taught slowly how to be a carpenter. And, and most of those people are disappearing. I'm not, I'm not finding any young carpenters anymore, but, uh, but yeah, we, we, we just lack that. Uh, whether it's due to also, but also I will say this where I live, you know, builders are revered because, which is the opposite from where I live. Everybody here thinks that anybody can build something. And if you can swing a hammer or you own a saw that you can put a door in or do a roof or build a house for that matter. (laughs) Um, so that's, on our side of things, like I understand that there's, you know, there's no national standard in the United States and, and most states have their own sort of way of dealing with contractors um, and tradespeople. What you do have that we don't is in a lot of states um, and Hawaii and Tennessee, I think are, are two of the better ones, but there are a lot of states that do require trade certificates to get a contractor license. And you have to prove that you have insurance and that um, you have workers comp for your employees. If you have a certain amount of employees, Um, that's not something we have here. Uh, Anybody here can go and get a building permit. Um, BC is a little different. They're a little bit more on the cutting edge. And I think Ontario might be going that direction too. Um, But Anybody can build a house here. So the the system of having a red seal is great. And it's awesome to be able to, you know, say to someone, well, I have a red seal certificate. But people aren't necessarily always willing to want to pay more for that here because there's no value in it to them as far as the system's concerned. I want to hit on a couple of things you said there. First, um, Oh, we have plenty of people here who think that they can do anything. Plenty of people who just think that they were born with the skills. So, but uh, in general, really trades are looked upon as being very uh, important here. Um, And then, you know, it's so, it's really difficult for me to know what goes on in every state. I mean, we, we, every state varies so much where I live, you absolutely have to have insurance. You have to have proof of insurance that, to get your contractor's license. Um, and if you get caught hiring people without comp, the, the penalties are staggering up to $1,500 a day per employee. So 
we do have that in order. But where I live, you do not need to even get a permit to build a house. You just buy land and do it. You can. So there's a lot of there's because uh, a lot of people here do build their own houses because you can and you don't need to get anything inspected. Nothing unless you're going to uh, to a bank. But a lot of people build out of pocket. So a lot of stuff gets built wrong. And that's kind of where I came into the business is I was building right. And I fixed a lot of stuff that was going wrong on other people's houses. Uh, that, that is, that is a problem, but I think one of the big things that would come up here, uh, is if you tried to do that was, would be that people don't want more regulation and that's, yeah. and that's, that's a huge issue for, for, you know, people want their economic freedom and to not be bothered. So that's a challenge right there. It is. And that's the problem of the topic that we're we're speaking about labor shortages and people not wanting to get into the trades is because i generally the population i don't think sees that as a route to take it's like hairdressers have to have certification to cut hair and you know would you take your car to you know someone who's not licensed I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense, right? So why would you have someone build your house who's not educated and who's not licensed and insured and who hasn't gone through the systems to make sure that they can get those, those qualifications? So the institution itself of government and not having those regulations, yeah, people don't want it, but they also don't understand the bad side of it when you hire someone who doesn't know what they're doing. I think they do, but they don't. And they've never taken the care and the time to get the education to back up their knowledge. And, you know, and that's a problem. Yeah. And we don't um, have a, we don't have a program to do that. You know, for me to have my general contractor's license and build houses, I have to have a residential endorsement. So I did have to take a 40 hour course that was really outdated codes. It's kind of a joke. Um, and then we do have to do continuing ed classes that are also marginally, um, helpful. It's, it's really not, it's not a very good system. No. And I, I think both sides of the border have merits and I think definitely there's room for improvement on both sides. Um, we don't have to have anything to build a house here. Um, you don't have to have a warranty program. You don't have to have insurance. You don't have to have any qualifications whatsoever. And there's no continuing education component to our Red Seal program, which I think is a downfall. Um, you know, if you're an architect or, or um, engineer, you know, those sorts of professions have to continually upgrade their skills and their knowledge and trades don't have to do that. Aside from, you know, whenever we have a code update that happens um, and you know, your, your regional inspector might be pushing those on you and, and helping you with those updates. But other than that, I mean, the, the world of construction is so vast and everything's coming at us so quickly now with, you know, all the new building standards and, and everything that there really needs to be that continuing education component. So people can learn new products, new ways, new methods. Um, if you're going to build houses better. That's, that's the only way to get there. The good builders 
are all doing it on their own. There's definitely no push. There's no standards that are, it, it, it's not, it's not even remotely difficult to blow away standards on houses that are, that are, you know, put in place by governments or banks, you know, no. and, and so it doesn't give, it doesn't give some homeowners an incentive either to do better, to spend a little more money on a long-term uh, improvement on their home because, because, because if there's not a, a higher standard set, they're not motivated. No, they don't want all the regulation, so they don't push for it. But then you get into situations like the BC condo crisis and, you know, structural failures in houses. I don't, we've only been on the island working in residential construction for eight years. And I have probably about 20 houses that we've worked on in that period of time where there was actual structural failures in the house and they could have been um, avoided by a having a building inspector because for a long period of time we didn't have a building inspector here um, and b could have been avoided by someone actually doing the job properly and knowing what they were doing and caring about the fact that they're working on someone's house um, you know, people who work in the trades and who are passionate about their job love what they do. They're masters at it. I think that if they were to be proud of that outwardly, that that also helps to elevate the trades to a professional level. That might entice some younger people to want to get into it. This this topic is coming up all the time in my conversations with people right now. And what I'm... what I'm no expert in, in solving this kind of problem. It's, it's systemic. It's bigger than me. I'm, I'm really good at organizing my business and, and, and calling people and they need to show up. But uh, I also see in this issue here, um, uh, there's a gender imbalance in the trades. In general, there's that stigma. So what do you think the next step is what do you think needs to happen? Because, you know, I don't know when, I don't know when shop classes went away where I grew up and I don't know if they did. I, maybe they still have shop class there. I don't know. I had one shop class in, in school. That was it. And I loved it. But, um, you know, where does it, where does the systemic failure get righted? I, I have no clue where this starts. I think, I think it's a bigger issue than any one of us is ever going to solve. And I, I don't know, you know, what has to happen out there in the world as far as regulation and, and all the rest of it goes. Um, you know, obviously the world's moving towards more of a net zero passive house type code system, zero carbon, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's going to that's going to require people who know what they're doing to build our buildings. But then you have to have um, regional authorities who uh, back that up and who make people build that way. Um, but from the uh, the trade and and you know people out there who work in the trades who have their red seal endorsement who you know are passionate about what they do. We need to be more open and we need to be more willing to teach people. We need to, you know, 
take the time to hire that kid at a high school and train them right from the get-go. Um, train them to be what you want them to be. Take the time to mentor them and, and, and teach them. Um, I've actually seen apprentices that I know leave the apprenticeship program because they couldn't find an employer to work for who was willing to teach and who was willing to take the time out of their day for 30 seconds here and there to explain something to them or to give them the opportunity to make mistakes and learn from it and show them how to fix it. Yeah, having apprentices is costly. Believe me, I know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's worth it. Aaron and I sort of if have they, a joke. If they, if they evolve. Yeah. And, and that's another, that's a whole other conversation. Um, how, do, how do you train people um, who know absolutely nothing when they come to you? But Aaron and I have a joke that, that we keep training his clones because we start them from basically knowing nothing. And over the course of four or five years, um, they become like him and have the skills and the, and the knowledge and the ability to do stuff all on their own and, and are self-sufficient in their, in their job. Um, I don't know of any other profession where you can put that kind of time in and come out the other side of it after four or five years and, and have that. Um, you know, I went to school for four years and, and got a education in business administration at a university. And at the end of it, I had a piece of paper. It didn't give me any practical knowledge. It didn't set me up to get a job any easier. Um, but when you enter an apprenticeship program, when you're done and you get that endorsement and you have that piece of paper, your ability to get a job and to get a good job that pays better than labor wage goes up substantially. But we need, we need the people who are already in the trade to be willing to train and be mentors, whether they like it or not, because there's, they're, they're few and far between and, and becoming even more few and far between. And, and so we need some people to, I guess, step up to the plate and be willing to do that where they haven't before. That's a good point. People need to put in the time for a lot of people who have the skills. If there's not money being made to be made doing it, it won't happen. What do you see as the most valuable way to mentor and teach? It's easy to criticize people or cheer them on, but, but teaching them is a, is another, is another thing entirely. It is. Um, Aaron is just naturally a good mentor and yeah, a good teacher. He I has a that. good personality for it, obviously. Um, and, you know, early on Instagram, um, that's just sort of the road he ended up going down because it was natural for him. Um, I, as I said, got an education in business administration and my major was actually in human resources. So knowing how to teach different personalities and, and, you know, create training programs or be able to support and assist people as they go through that process with him and be able to support and assist him when he's struggling to teach them, um, has been, has been big. 
nobody teaches you how to teach other people. And a lot of times I think when people go through the trades, they teach the way they were taught and that doesn't always work for everybody. Um, but start small, just, you know, hire someone who has very little knowledge, but who you feel has, you know, hire someone who is got a good attitude and who's going to show up for work every day. And maybe, you know, if you're worried about your bottom line, just explain that, you know, Hey, I can't explain these to you when we're on the, the dime, but at the end of the day, if you want to take 20 minutes to ask me some questions or at break time or lunchtime, just offer information and be willing to answer questions. That is the simplest form of teaching that anyone can give an apprentice because how else are they going to find out? How else are they going to know? It's very true. We, we do a lot of uh, uh, expecting of minds to be read in the trades. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest things that was a shocker for me um, was when we started hiring women and we had a girl who is still with us start and she was completely infuriating for both Aaron and I, because she asked so many questions and it was after a period of time, I just had to look at it from a different perspective and said, no, this is good because she's, she's not letting us assume that she knows, which is generally what men do. They don't want to seem stupid. They don't want to look like they don't know. And, you know, or whatever the reason, they just don't ask a lot of questions. And she was constantly asking questions and it's been great. Um, so, you know, I, I think that on the flip side of that, if you're an apprentice and you're listening to this, start asking more questions. If you're not getting out of your, out of your job or out of your supervisor or out of your crewmates, the type of learning that you think you should get, maybe it's because you're not asking enough questions. It goes both ways. Yeah, the and the stereotype about men kind of thinking they know it all is is fairly apt. You know, I I've walked away from the job site to get materials and come back and been like, uh, why didn't you guys ask before you yeah. assemble that wrong? Um, ask, don't assume. Yeah. No, that's 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 great insight, and. It's great that you've been able to maintain uh, your 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 crew for that long too, employees sticking around for that many years, because it is such a it is such a high overturn in this industry. Because it's because it is it is not a permanent. It's not a long term job for a lot of people. It's like they do it for a couple of years and move on. Yeah. And the other situation that we constantly get into is that we're training our competition. Mm. Um, you know, you, and that's maybe some of the hiccups that other people go through too, is they don't, you know, why would I train my competition? It, it's just, it's, a, it's a way of life for us. We teach, we, we let them learn. And then when you need to let them go, you let them go. And you know, we're proud of all those people that we've apprenticed over the years and that we've gotten to the Red Seal uh, state, um, you know, and that's, that's sort of like the feather in our cap. And, you know, if they don't stay, they don't stay. That's not a reflection of us. That's a reflection of them. 
um, we taught them well and they went on and did their own thing. And, you know, that's how the system should work. That's how it worked for me. I was pretty naive when I started out, didn't come from anything that, and construction was just temporary for me when I started for sure. I was on a different path, but here I am with a business, a construction business podcast. <laughs> uh, never yeah. And I think here. that's, I think, I think other people need to, you know, I think the younger generations need to see that like construction and the trades and there's a whole lot of jobs that are involved with that. You don't always have to be the guy on the end of the shovel or, you know, one doing all the grueling work. Um, you know, maybe sometimes that's how you start out, but eventually you, you move up and you gain that knowledge and, and you get to do the jobs that are more fun. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you get sought out too. When, once you're good, you get sought out. People are looking for that talent. Yeah. And you get to do the work that you like to do. You get to specialize. I think the tough part for some of the trades in particular in the, to make that decision, like where I live in particular with residential is there's no benefits. There's you're, you're, you're saving your money. You're, you got to get your own health care. There's no system in place for like a union job. There's a pension. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a greater incentive to stick around the union for X amount of years than there is to sit then, then, and then a residential job. So, yeah. So to, to build on, on the program we have here um, in Canada, red seals like the bare minimum, as far as I'm concerned. And then if we added continuing education onto that and we added specialized qualifications on top of that, then as you move up through that educational system, you would be able to command more money. And if you can, if you can command more money from your clients in the private sector, then you can have those things. You can make enough money to, you know, put money aside for, a, you know, retirement and have health benefits and, you know, those kinds of things. But you're, you're not going to make it if you don't get the education and, and, the reputation in your business to back that up you can't charge premium dollar and not be able to put that money where your mouth is how do we how do we fix the gender imbalance in the trades you, you obviously um, you guys are you guys are doing really well with that because you're you have how many women working for you now so there's three of us in total this is a touchy topic for me. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be. I don't know if there's an imbalance. Okay. I don't. I I think what think what there is is that women need to recognize that this is not that these are not male only jobs. I think it's a societal thing. Um. But there's yeah, it's a whole big conversation beyond that. I will also say that I will not hire any woman unless I feel that they can do what I do. Um, if you come to me and, you know, constantly say I can't or 
aren't even willing to try, this isn't the job for you. Construction's not easy for anybody, even men. I've seen guys start with us who could barely lift a staging deck. I've seen women start with us who could barely lift a staging deck. But the ones who tried and the ones who continued to try eventually could do it. And I, I think that's this that's the same for everything in, in the trades. As long as you're the type of person who's willing to try, then you can succeed. I don't think it has anything to do with gender. Agreed. Um, okay. What about, let's go back to shop classes. I have no idea what's going on with shop classes in the country or a, a, anywhere. I have no <laughs> idea. I, 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 I'm, I'm going really... to be on the shop, shop class podcast tomorrow. Well, maybe you'll find out what's going on. I will. I will. I don't. Our educational system is so broken up sometimes. We still have a shop class here on Graham and Ann in our high school, um, which is wonderful. Um, We have an awesome shop class teacher and uh, he does carpentry and mechanical stuff. It's great. Um, But in a a lot of other residential uh, school, public school system here, there there isn't. Um, So, you know, that's that's a great way to get kids involved and, and get them to see whether or not they like something is to have it available to them in school. Um, we also, you know, have a program here in New Brunswick that allows high school students to work in the trades in the summer. And it's sort of a pre-apprenticeship program. Um, that their hours for that summer job can get put towards their apprenticeship when they get out of high school. So, you know, our government, I think, is doing, you know, a pretty good job of trying to entice high school age students right now into the trades. Um, But I just don't know if it's enough across the board. You know, it's great that our tiny little island has shop class, but, you know, what are the hundreds of other high schools out there doing in Canada and the U S yeah, I, I, not my area of expertise. I don't know. I just don't see the, I don't see the labor coming up. I don't see them coming at all. So during the, during the talk, uh, it kept coming up that you and Aaron uh, train people together uh, that's Aaron Jones is the other, the other partner in this partnership of big dog construction. And, and so I, I, I want to ask about running a partnership as a business for, as a business structure, because not everybody does that. And, uh, people could learn a lot from a successful partnership or, uh, so what, what is the most valuable aspect of that partnership for you? Uh, it's most definitely the fact that we can separate our business life from our personal life. Um, we, we both like to put things in their own lane and, and put things in, in certain boxes. And we can have an argument at the end of the day about something to do with big dog about what's going on what are we doing tomorrow uh whose job is it to do what and 
whose responsibility is this? Um, and, you know, have an argument, heated discussion, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, when it's over and, and everything's said and done, we go on with life and we have our evening and we make our supper and we feed our dogs and everything else. And the same is true for, you know, when we get on a job site and we're having discussions about things and, you know, sometimes I have to be right. And sometimes he has to be right. And, and so you have to compromise sometimes. Um, we can't both be the boss, even though we both want to be. And sometimes it takes a little bit of pushing and pulling to get where we need to go. But at the end of the day, we both come home and we're good. It's awesome. Um, what's the, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about the business? Because we kind of jumped right into that hot topic and maybe not everybody knows uh, what you guys are up to. So uh, Big Dog Construction is coming up on its 10 year anniversary. Um, and it was born out of Aaron and I uh, putting our skills together and him being the carpenter and me being the business person and starting fresh. Um, and stuff happened and jobs came about and we came to Graham and Ann to do a project for um, another general contractor, a commercial project and loved it here so much that we bought a house and then decided that we would stay here full time and do residential construction. Um, we're not afraid of the weird and wonderful and we're not afraid to design on our, on our own. Um, and thankfully we've had clients who've let us do that in the past. Um, we don't build a lot of houses. We do more renovations, um, than anything, but it keeps us busy. That's for sure. And building on an Island in the climate that we're in and the extreme weather, uh, that we have here has pushed us to be way better than we ever were before. And as far as our building practices goes. Yeah, I, I see Aaron's, Aaron's always got some puzzle to deal with when when yeah. the walls when the walls start getting gutted. Yeah, project. we have a lot of issues that we've come across here. Like I mentioned before, you know, we have structural issues. We work on houses that are 140 plus years old. Um, even new construction is, is a challenge. Um, and there's things that you learn as you go along, like, you know, when you have put new window inserts in an older home and you would have done that on the mainland anywheres and it would have been fine forever. And then you spend two years chasing water that's coming in the house through those windows and you're figuring, trying to figure out why. Well, because the wind and the rain do awesome things here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it changes how you, how you run your business too. Um, I outright refuse now to put inserts in. I will do flanged nailing windows and that's it. That's how it goes. Just because the warranty callback is, is not worth it. Well, that's, that's one of the beauties of knowing what you're doing and, and, and being an expert where you live is when a client wants something that you won't do, just say, nope. And, yep. and, and they respect that. 
Um, and that's why you guys are sought after. I hope so. I hope we're starting to get to a point where, you know, our reputation is preceding us. And I think we have an amazing clientele here on the Island. I think we get a good balance of people and, um, I think people appreciate our, our knowledge and our expertise and our warranty and the fact that we teach our apprentices. Some people don't appreciate that, but most of our clients do. And we're getting to a point where we can pick and choose who we want to work for, which is the upper level in our business, right? No doubt. Um, it is. I, I love a lot of my clients have become friends. Um, you know, and it's just been a wonderful experience to, to live and work here. That's fantastic. And did you have experience in the trades before Big Dog yourself? Or did you kind of learn on the job with, the, with working beside Aaron? I grew up on a farm. So as a kid, I was taught to be a Jill of all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd use tools. I'd, you know, I'd even learned to, I started teaching myself how to tile, um, before I met Aaron, um, I could paint. Um, but when I got onto the job sites, uh, 10 years ago, when we first started big dog and was able to spend time with those people in those professions that do those things on a regular basis and could watch and learn and ask questions. Um, and thankfully I, I, we worked with trades who were amazing at, at that and were willing to teach me, um, or answer my questions at the very least. So again, asking questions was a big deal for me because, um, that's how I learned to do a lot of that stuff, watch and learn, and then not be afraid to do it myself. Um, so yeah, my background is in business and finance and, and, you know, a couple other things, but, um, being willing to learn and ask questions and then being willing to do it myself and yeah, being afraid to screw up. But <laughs> when you do, you learn even more. Uh, yes, you do. Yeah. I wouldn't take back any of my mistakes. Not well. Most of them, (laughs) most of them, there's some ugly ones, but so what's the, what's the biggest struggle in the business for you? This is just out. This is like just random. What I have my things that I don't, I'm not great at in my business or I'm just, they kind of linger a little bit. So what, what's your, what's your struggle in your business? Because of where we live uh, and because of the aforementioned problem where people don't appreciate, you know, sometimes what we do or what we know, um, we can't charge enough. Um, Mm. That also, you know, comes with not being able to hire qualified people right off the bat. So we spend a lot of time training um, apprentices and that slows us down and it, it, you know, our work product suffers for it. The amount of time and energy that we ourselves, Aaron and I put into learning and, and continuing education and, you know, being a part of a warranty program and, and all that stuff. Um, 
I, you know, I can't charge any more than I'm charging because the market won't let me. And that's, that's where we suffer. Would it make any sense to pack everything up and move somewhere else that we could charge more? Maybe. But then we wouldn't have the quality of life that we have either. So it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah, you know, all the all the coaches and consultants out there would tell you you need to mark stuff up more and charge more. And, and you know, they're, they're right in some degree, but there is that trade-off of, of being comfortable you are. And, and I and you can't live, live. In, yeah and you can't live in a small community like this and not be honest and have a good reputation for that That's um fast. you know I have always built my businesses based on honesty and being willing to show my clients everything I do um so when I started big dog with Aaron, I basically upfront said to him, we won't mark up materials. Um, we're going to charge more per hour because there's, there's more validation in that than, you know, mark materials. Um, and clients appreciate that. Um, but I also am willing to sit down with their thought and show them every penny I spent and every hour that we worked and, some people appreciate that. Some people don't care. <laughs> um, but there have been a few who, you know, that adds to our reputation. I uh, yeah. The transparent transparency definitely adds. And so have you, you, you started other businesses before big dog? Yep. Um, so in a previous life, I was uh, integrated pest management service provider for um cranberry growers here in the province okay um, so i basically trapped and counted bugs for a living for a couple of years while i was going to university um so that was my my first experience as being self-employed um and life went on from there so i don't do well working for other people um i i like to be the boss and as Aaron would tell you. Um, so <laughs> I echo that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> it works well. He, he has his times where he's like, no, I need to be the boss on this. And it's like, well, okay, but <laughs> I'm really the boss. <laughs> he's an amazing carpenter and yeah. he has done his experience in this trade is so vast. Like, I don't think anybody truly understands how much he has done, um, right from residential to commercial and into industrial and all types of skills in the trade too, from concrete and form work to, you know, roofing and finished work and building cabinets. It just, every time you turn around and, you know, we go to do a different job or, or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Like, when did you ever do that? <laughs> but that's, that's... he just, and his retention of that knowledge is incredible too. You know, just, and the stuff that he has done in, you know, before me even um, was pretty impressive. He should write a book. He should. His, his online presence is pretty amazing though, too. I mean, it is. All, all the, all the information he's pumping out daily that's a lot of energy to put into 
social media on top of what you're already doing every day. I'm, I'm super impressed by it actually. Cause I, I don't have the energy to do that all the time. Uh, he doesn't always either, but he makes it a priority. Um, because of who he is and because he, mm -hmm. he wants to grow that following that he has. And we've made some decisions about how he runs that Instagram account. Um, you know, that it's not going to all be about monetary gain there. There's long-term goals with it. And, and he really, the primary purpose of that IG account, um, that he runs for, for big dog is, is to teach. And, and is to be honest about tools and, um, you know, and there's, there's some tools and some clothing that he is, you know, an ambassador for now, but the reason that we've chosen to partner with him is because he really believes that, you know, people should use this stuff. Mm -hmm. People should wear this clothing because it's great. And it's the whole point of the Instagram account is to mentor and teach and give good advice there's there's no other reason for it for him and he he thoroughly enjoys it yeah i, I mean that I, 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 that's obvious to me because the content is very solid like the tips and the time he puts into showing people how to do stuff is very um it's very valuable it's solid content it's yeah and he has a good good way of going about it yeah i mean i feel like maybe we're leaning towards that because there's some branding and stuff going brand ambassadorship that it might be looked upon differently there are brand ambassadors out there on instagram who aren't really offering content they're just like trying to get followers and stuff but but uh you know i didn't when i found aaron it wasn't i would i just stumbled across it and he had this awesome post about about cutting roofs and i was i stopped and actually watched it i hadn't really seen stuff like that on on the gram before so so that's kind of why i started off with him yeah and he you. never he never actually funny and i don't know if he told you this but he actually got on instagram because of an apprentice um who's actually now a red steel carpenter contractor here on the island who is our competition but, uh -huh. um, he, so that apprentice got Aaron onto Instagram because of the stuff he was seeing on Instagram in the carpentry trade guys doing funny stuff with table saws and everything else. Um, so Aaron got on and was, you know, on there for a while, but then it was when his daughter lived with us and worked with us that she was watching him do this stuff and was in awe and amazement and said, you need to put that on Instagram. And so he started, you know, putting some of these things on Instagram and lo and behold, came to find out that there was more people than just himself who liked to hear him talk. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And it's great because he, he is an amazing mentor and he, he needs that outlet. Um, he is so passionate about what he does and he, he is so passionate about making sure that people are getting whatever information and knowledge out of his head into theirs. Yeah, that's very And I try to support him. Uh-huh. 
Well, Gina, I really appreciate you coming on today. It's I great to, hope it's that, great. I hope that it was interesting and I don't have any answers for any of this stuff either. Um, and you know, there, there's a lot of problems in the world when it comes to labor shortages and, and how do we fix it? But I think that sometimes big problems start to be solved with small answers. And I really feel like all those guys out there who have all that experience and knowledge should be passing it on. There's, there's going to be fewer and fewer of them in the future. So I appreciate you listening. Yeah. I was just taking some notes there. Hey, um, stick around for a sec, but Hey everybody, that's been Gina Hoyt, uh, from big dog construction and you can follow their Instagram at big dog construction. And that's mostly Aaron doing tutorials. But uh, how can how can people find more, out more about you, Gina? Um, I am on Instagram at uh, Big Dog Life Times, so X three. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Instagram making posts. Um, Aaron Aaron runs that show, and uh, yeah, he's at Big Dog Construction for Graham and Ann. And uh, yeah, he's the one who's worth the follow. <laughs> hmm. And the hashtag apprenticeship is an obligation. Um, that's very important to us. And also the, the flash me. Mm. So we're all about teaching. August 26, everyone. International Flashing Awareness Day. Absolutely. And it'll be happening again this year. All right. Next year, 2022. Great. Okay, Gina, thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I don't think I need to tell you how important it is that you either subscribe or leave a review or both for the podcast. You can subscribe on any platform you listen on. You can leave a review on iTunes, your podcast app, or on my new website where anybody can leave a review. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on the Hammer app. And if you're willing to give a contribution for the content, you can go to my Patreon account, Patreon backslash Mike Kenoki, my name. And leave a donation there. You can also find a link in my link tree. That's all I got. Later.